Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. If you have a copy of God's Word with you, if you'll turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts in chapter number 28. We're in the last chapter of the book. Those that have been here for a while, this is message number 81, I think, or 82, something like that. And uh, we've been in this book for two and a half years. Counting this morning, we have three messages left. This morning, tonight, and next Sunday evening is when we'll finish uh, the book of Acts, Acts in chapter number 28. And I've enjoyed our walk through this. I feel like I've grown in my knowledge and understanding of God's Word, and my challenge, I pray, in my Christian life and application of God's Word. And I've enjoyed this series. I'm looking forward. After Thanksgiving, uh, in December, we'll be in a, a series, a sermon series, entitled The Characters of Christmas. We're going to look at uh, not just the well-known characters, but some of those kind of uh, uh, peripheral characters from the Christmas story, and some things that we can learn from those um, that are in the Christmas story, and that'll be on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings throughout the month of December. And then I'm excited, uh, in January, be kicking off a few new sermon series. I believe on Sunday mornings we're going to uh, kick off a sermon series entitled Money Matters. And looking at biblical stewardship and principles for our own, our, our stewardship of our resources and what the Bible has to say about those things. And uh, so I'm looking forward to that and a couple of other sermon series moving into the new year of 2022. I'm going to make a statement that I think most of us would say that we believe. Three little words, it's this statement, God is good. Probably I think most of us would agree with that statement, God is good. How many of you, by lifted hand, you would say, I agree with that, God is good. I'm going to add three more words to that statement, and I think that most of us would still say we ascribe to this statement, at least mentally, we would, we would say that this is a true statement, and that is this, God is good all the time. It's easy to say. Sometimes it's hard to live. Sometimes it's hard to truly believe. We, we say, I think we would, most of us would say, if we had to raise our hands, that we believe that, but do we really? What about when cancer strikes? Is God still good, or do we doubt His goodness? We sang this morning, great are you, Lord. We say, I'll fix my eyes on Jesus. What about when a financial crisis hits? Does our faith waver a bit? Divorce enters our family. Did God forget about us? A loved one is deeply hurt, maybe even abused. In those situations, has God failed? How is it that so many Christians and sometimes even pastors or Christian authors or what we might call celebrity Christians that, that, that can proclaim the goodness of God for week after week, month after month, year after year, sometimes decade after decade, can then we'll read sometimes about or maybe someone we know or a, a person that we grew up going to church with or a pastor that one time we sat under, they can somewhere along the way begin to what we, we sometimes call deconstruct their faith. 
and make a, a statement that I'm not sure that I believe that God is still good or even that there is a God. How does that happen? And there are probably a variety of reasons and ways that that happens, but very often and almost always if you'll study those things, it is because circumstances come into their lives, circumstances come into their world that cause them to begin to doubt the goodness of God. If God is good, then how could He allow fill in the blank? If God is good, then why would He let me fill in the blank? If God was really good, how could this happen? And may I say, I think this is a danger for all of us to base the goodness of God on the things that we feel and touch and experience. And I want to look this morning, I want to bring a message to you from Acts in chapter number 28 entitled, God is good all the time. Acts in chapter number 28, we're going to finish, as I mentioned, this series next Sunday night. But where we find ourselves in this passage, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who has gone uh, all over the known world really at that time, preaching the gospel, planting churches on his three different missionary journeys. We've been looking the last couple of chapters. Paul has been held in a prison cell on uh, uh, just an indefinite detainment for a couple of years in that Mediterranean seaside town of Caesarea. Paul has been there, and the Jews want to kill him. In fact, there were some that went on a—they they made a, some assassins made a, a plot of how they were going to kill him. And Paul, as a Roman citizen, said, I appeal to Caesar. Basically, I want my lawyer, is what we would say today, right? I'm not going to answer any questions till I can go. And, and he appealed to the highest court, and so he had to make his way to Rome. It took him a couple of years to make his way to Rome. Last Sunday night, for those that were here, we looked at his, his journey. He got on a boat from Caesarea, and if we can throw that map up there, Tej. Uh, he got on a boat from Caesarea right here in the bottom right, and we looked last week how that boat took a couple of, uh, took some unexpected turns and, and some storms. They ended up on the island of Crete there, and then he lands at Malta, the far left, that little island, Malta, and uh, their boat, it was a boat with 276 people on it. There were prisoners. There were, it was a grain ship. There were the workers that were taking um, their, uh, their, their, from Egypt to Rome, to Italy. They were were taking their cargo, and this boat had been completely shipwrecked. They thought they were all going to die. We saw that last Sunday night, and they didn't. That's where we pick up the story. They are on the island of Malta, or the way that it's, it's, it's uh, pronounced or said here in Bible times, Melita, it's that island of Malta. Look at Acts 28, verse number one, if you will. And when they were escaped, so they got out of the boat, they got out of the shipwreck, and they knew that the island was called Melita, and the barbarous people showed us no little kindness. It just means they were actually very generous. It wasn't just small things they did for us. These people that didn't know us, these people that didn't speak our language, which is what that word barbarous there means, uh, they, they were very kind to us. For they kindled a fire and received us, everyone, because of the present rain and because of the cold. Uh, and when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, notice this, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. You ever hear the saying, when it rains, it what? Literally, it's been raining and pouring. They've been as cold. They're, 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 they're shipwrecked. They thought they were going to die. They're tossed and turned. They haven't eaten a couple. Of the, uh, Paul gave them a meal, but for about a couple of weeks, they were on this storm. They were seasick. They hadn't eaten. Finally, they make it to land. Paul says, let's get a fire going. As a servant leader, uh, Paul goes and, and collects sticks, and he gets the fire going. We got to get, get these people warm. There's, a, there's close to 300 of them, passengers that are there, and, uh, and they get the fire going. And as Paul's 
getting the fire, a viper comes out of the fire, comes out where the sticks were, had probably been there in the logs that they had carried over, and attaches to Paul's hand. Man, we can't catch a break. This prisoner going to Rome, the boat won't make it, they're stuck, they're hungry, they're starving, they're cold. Now look what they thought, verse number four. And the bar- when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, would you read the next, what is that, six or seven words from no doubt to murder? Would you read that aloud with me? Ready? Begin. No doubt this man is a murderer. Immediately, snap judgment. That happened to him. He must be a murderer. No doubt. There's no doubt. This guy, he's a prisoner, so they're thinking that he obviously he's done something wrong. He's going to Rome. Whom, though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. He is going, he thought he was going to get out of this, he's going to get his. He's about to die. Because when that type of snake latched onto your hand, you didn't have long to live. They knew he was about to die. Uh, He was in his last few moments on earth. Now look at verse number five. And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Verse six, this is an interesting verse. Howbeit, they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly. But after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a what, church? A? So because a snake bit him, there's no doubt this man's a murderer and he's getting what he deserves. And they looked for a while, and Joe, his hand was supposed to swell up. They've seen other people get bitten by snakes. They've had funerals on this island for people bitten by this kind of, of viper. And be, they look, and they're waiting, and his hand doesn't swell up. And they look, and he, he doesn't go pale, and he doesn't sit down, and he doesn't fall down, and he doesn't faint, and he doesn't die. And now, it, within two verses, he went from being a murderer to being a god. Oh, this guy is better than us. First, he's the worst of us. Now, he's the best of us. He's one that we should worship. There's something supernatural about this guy. He, he, he's not dying from the snake bite. How quickly they, 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 they were so fickle in their judgments. And aren't we the same? We're so fickle in our judgments. We, we'll judge people's character based on one interaction. We'll judge God's goodness based on whether he came through for us in that moment or not. I've, I've had people tell me that, oh, I'll, I'll never go back to church. God didn't answer my prayers, and they'll, they'll tell me some crisis they were in. I had a loved one that had this, or I was walking through that, and I, I prayed, and I asked God, and he didn't answer my prayers the way that I wanted. I don't believe in that God stuff. And what are we saying? Because of one circumstance, we cast complete judgment on the God of the universe. Because of one thing that happened in time and space in our life, we cast judgment on the eternal God of the universe. We make snap judgments like they did here, those people on Malta. We make snap judgments based on circumstances. We do this with people, and we also do this with God, don't we? Again, this morning, I want to bring a simple truth that I believe is a great reminder that God is good all the time. I want you to think about how we often think and talk. We say that God is good all the time, but when do we really laud the goodness of God in our lives? It's usually when our lives get better. That's when God is good. It's usually when our lives get easier. It's usually when the portfolio gets larger. It's usually when the business deal goes through, you think about the times that we talk about, oh, I'm so blessed, or God is so good. It's when our lives get richer in some way on social media, and there's nothing wrong with this, but we'll see things like, got a promotion today, God is good. 
enjoying this ocean view suite in Cancun. Hashtag blessed. My son was named captain of the football team, highly favored. What about this? When was the last time we saw posts like this? Lost my job today. God is good. Working 16 hours a day to make ends meet. Hashtag blessed. My son got cut from the underwater basket weaving team. Highly favored. Like, when do we talk about God's goodness in our lives? Boy, my life got better. It got easier. And, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, it's not wrong to rejoice. God gives you a promotion or a job. People are going to be like, man, I just go on there. My life stinks. Pastor said it. God is good. Like, that's not what I'm saying. We can rejoice when God blesses. I, I, we were gone this week. I was coaching our high school team, uh, basket, boys in basketball, and our girls went in volleyball, and they did very well at the tournament we went to. And I, I put a social media post up there praising them and thankful for, for the hard work that they put in. It's not wrong to rejoice over victories, over, over what we might call blessings. But what is wrong is when we only view the good things as that's when God's good. Because what we're subliminally saying is when it's not good, then he wasn't good. When we didn't get what we call the blessing, then God must have somehow forgotten us. Here's the reality. In our minds often, God is good when business is booming. But God, may I just say this, God is still good when bankruptcy looms. We must recognize and truly internalize this truth because there will come a time in every one of our lives or multiple times where our belief in this truth will be put to the test. And we have to come to a place that we truly understand and truly believe that God's goodness to us is not based on his gifts to us. Is God good when you don't get the gift you wanted or prayed for or hoped for? God's goodness to us is not based on his gifts to us. God's goodness is not based on how easy or comfortable our life is. Too often, church, I fear, if you're anything like your pastor, we worship the gifts rather than worshiping the giver. We follow God for what we can get rather than following him because he is worthy of everything we could ever give. It's, it's, I'll try this Christian life thing, I'm having some problems. I'll try this Christianity thing out so that he can fix all of my problems. We treat him like some cosmic genie in a bottle that we get to rub and he comes out and gives us our three wishes. No, church family, God is not some cosmic genie in a bottle. God is the almighty, omniscient, omnipresent. He's the all-powerful God of the universe and he is always only good. We're much like the people at Malta. A bad thing happens, and we immediately have a story of how that's bad. And then a good thing happens, and then we, we, we switch our mind, and it's good. You can go on YouTube and find all kinds of videos where people doubt God's goodness because bad or evil happens in this world. We judge the very et- character of an eternal God because of the temporary circumstances of our fallen world. May I say that statement one more time? We judge the very character of an eternal, righteous, holy God because of the temporary circumstances of our fallen world. I was reading a book by a friend of mine, Costi Hinn, the nephew of faith healer Benny Hinn. Many of you are familiar with that televangelist. He's not quite as popular as he used to be, but, but was on TV quite a bit. Costi, Benny's nephew, was gloriously saved out of the prosperity gospel, faith healing, false gospel, and and is now a powerful Bible preacher and teacher and pastor in Arizona. 
And he said this in his book, he said, with various degrees of the prosperity gospel finding its way into our churches, countless Christians have at one point or another believed the lie that God is good when things are good, and he is punishing them when things aren't. That's a false view of the God we serve. Connie, I just saw you there. You, you texted my wife and me. Your son, adult son, had a, a very dangerous mountain biking accident this week, was rushed to the hospital and surgery. And, and, and we, we immediately, if we're not careful, if we have a wrong view of God, well, what did I do wrong? How is God getting even with me? Oh, no. God is good when there's hospital visits, and God is good when there's a clean bill of health. God is always only good. God is good all the time. Would you say that with me? Church, God is good all the time. We're going to do something this morning that we don't do often in our study in Acts. We're actually going to leave this passage. As I studied this and I just looked at their snap judgments, it reminded me of an Old Testament character. And we're going to spend basically the rest of our message in the Old Testament, the book of Job. Would you turn with me to the book of Job, Job in chapter number one? I want, us to go to, I want you to see a few things in Job, Job in chapter number one. And this message is a little different than our normal Sunday morning study in the book of Acts. But as I read about the snap judgments of the residents of Malta, I was struck by how often we do the same thing. And we're going to look at the life of Job a little bit. I'm going to give you this morning, my message is going to be two cautions to guard against when walking through the difficult circumstances of life. I want to give you two cautions to guard against when you're going through difficulties and things that you don't understand. Because all of us will face things like that in life. Job, in chapter number one, I want you to see it. Job, in chapter number one, follow along, if you will, with me, the first four verses. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was perfect and upright. Perfect just means complete. He was a, he was a man of integrity. He was a righteous man. It doesn't mean he was sinless. Perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. This man followed hard after God. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. He's got ten kids. God's blessed him in great ways. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. If he lived today, he would have had, you know, 10,000 Bitcoin and, and, and 500 rental properties and all of these different—his portfolio was very good. He said he was, he was the, uh, financially the greatest of all the men of the East. He's got a healthy family, 10 kids. He loves God. If, if we put it in today's day and age, he was a faithful churchgoer. He was involved. He probably sang in the choir. He, all of these things, life is good. Look, look at verse number four. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. What do you see? You see a beautiful, loving family. So his kids are all adults. They've all grown up. They still love each other. Isn't that a blessing? That's, um, that's a prayer for my wife and for me as our kids grow that we'll actually like each other when they leave our homes and we'll love getting together. And, and, and they loved each other. They loved God. God's blessed him. Business is booming. Markets are up. Portfolio's good. Retirement's in, in, in sight. He's doing all of these things. Everything is good. And, and this is what we see in verse number four. He's living the good life. I was, as I was studying this, I came across archaeologists recently made a discovery from this time period of these four verses. You're actually the first church to see this historic artifact. They found Job's cell phone, and on his Instagram app was a picture of his family, this picture right here with the caption, business is good, life is good, God is good, hashtag blessed. It says it right there, Job from the Bible. That's, I'm pretty sure that's a real artifact. Maybe not. 
But if he had lived today, his Instagram would have looked something like that. Business is good. Life is good. God is good. Hashtag blessed. Now look, verse number 13, skip down if you will, in verse number 13. And there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee, hey, hey, uh, Job, we had a big business reversal. You've lost a ton of your income. Verse number 16, and when he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, the fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee this other part of your business enterprise is completely wiped out. While he was yet speaking, there came also another, verse 17, and said, the Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am alone to tell thee every one of your employees that you've trained, all of your investment, all of your different business uh, pieces of your business completely gone in one day, Job. Look at the next verse. It doesn't get better. Verse number 18, while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young men and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. He went from everything is good, richest man in the East, healthy children that love each other, that get together all the time. In one day, he lost it all. He lost his business. He lost his finances. He lost his, his 10 children. All he has left is his health and his wife. By the way, if, if you're married and you have a good relationship with your spouse and your health, you're still a rich man. You still have a whole lot. But that's all he has left now. And you read a few more chapters, a few more verses later, and he's going to lose both of that. He's going to lose his health. He's going to become afflicted, and he's going to lose a good relationship with his wife. She won't die, but she will tell him to die. He loses that relationship. This man has everything. You know what I would say? If God is only good when things are good, this is a great time for Job to walk away from God. This is a great time for Job to doubt the goodness of God. This is a great time for Job to question the faithfulness of God. I don't know about you. I don't know how I would respond if I walked through a day like Job did. If I came and they told me everything you've worked for your whole life is completely wiped out, and everything that, that, that materially you hold dear is all gone, and, and all that you've worked for is completely gone, and on top of that, all of your children have died today. I don't know how I would respond. I, I, I like to think that I would say God is good all the time, but I have to imagine that I might not feel that way. This would be a great time for Job to say, God, I'm not sure that you're still good. Let's see what Job's response was. Would you read verses 20 through 22 aloud with me? Job chapter number 1, verses 20 through 22. Ready? Begin. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshiped and said, naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Way. Blessed be the name of the Lord in all this. Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. You know what Job said when all of that happened? 
God is good all the time. It's powerful. that, That always gets me those two words at the end of verse number 20. He rents his mantle, he shaved his head. Those were acts of of grieving in that culture. He tears his clothes, he shaves his head. Often they would get down in ashes, they would would lay down. And here's what it says. Those last two words are verse 20. And worshiped. And worshiped. He said, I came in with nothing, I'm going to go out with nothing. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God is good all the time. He didn't make a snap judgment. God, you failed me here. God, how could you? God, why would you let that into my life? No, he said, God is good all the time. What was Job's wife's response? Skip down, chapter number two, verse number nine. Look at what Job's wife says. Then said his wife unto him, dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Are you kidding me, Job? You're you're still going to worship the God that let this into our lives? And before you get too hard on Job's wife, I, I think a lot of us would probably respond in a lot of the same way that she did here. That, that's a real understandable response, humanly speaking. You're still going to retain your integrity. You're still going to praise the Lord. Hey, Job, curse God and die. Well, why, why don't you? He didn't do us right. He doesn't deserve our praise. He doesn't deserve our worship. And look what Job said in verse number 10. But he said unto her, thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. What did what did Job say? Honey, honey, I understand that you're hurting. I understand your heart is broken. Mine is too. But honey, we've got to understand God is good all the time. He was good when business was booming, and he's good now when we don't know what we're going to do to pay, make ends meet tomorrow. He was good when we had 10 children, all loved each other, and he's still good when all 10 of those are now in heaven. God, honey, is good all the time. Thankfully, Job had three friends. It says in verse 11, now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came from his own place. They left their homes to come travel and help Job. Let's see what kind of friends and help they were. Look at chapter number four, verse number seven. Chapter four, verse number seven. My introduction is almost done, and I'll give you the two thoughts, and we'll wrap it up. Chapter four, verse number seven. Look at the first friend. He he speaks up finally and says this, remember, I pray thee, Whoever perished being innocent, or where were the righteous cut off, verse number eight, even as I have seen they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. Here's what the friend said. Nobody dies that's living right, so you and your kids must have been living wrong. Snap judgment. Because something bad happened, we automatically think that person deserved it. They deserved that. And his friends, what did his friends say? He said, what I have found out is those that are wicked— They reap wickedness in their life. And Job, I've never seen anybody reap so much wickedness in their life, so you must be the most wicked person I've ever met. That's basically what the friend is saying. And what was the reality of the situation? The reality was the exact opposite. There was nobody. Job was the most righteous man of anybody that they knew, according to Scripture in Job 1. But yet the friends, because of circumstances, they made a judgment that he was the worst man, that he deserved all of this. Skip over chapter number 8, if you will. Chapter 8, look at verses 4 through 6. Chapter number 8, another friend, what he has to say. He said, if you would seek unto God betimes and make thy supplication to the Almighty, look at verse number 6, he says here. 
He says in verse number six, if thou wert, I'm sorry, verse, verse number four, he said, if thy children have sinned against him and he have cast them away for their transgression. Basically, your kids did something to deserve this. Verse number six, if thou wert pure and upright, surely now he would awake for thee and make the habitation of thy righteousness prosperous. What does he say? If you really loved God, God would wake up and help you. But because God's not helping you, there must be something wrong with you. You must be a wicked man that needs to get right. And I want to give us two cautions when we're faced with undesirable, unasked for, and possibly unwanted circumstances of life. Number one, be careful of only focusing on the external. Be careful of only focusing on the external. The Bible says that man looks on the outward appearance, the Lord looks on the heart. One of the dangers of the human experience is that we can't see the whole picture. We don't have a full understanding. The, the prophet Isaiah said it this way. He said in Isaiah chapter number 55, verses 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. What is the prophet Isaiah saying, speaking of the Lord, that, that we don't have a full understanding just on the stuff we can see, just on the actions and the circumstances and the, the blessings or the cursings. We don't have have a full understanding, and so be careful about making judgments about people, but especially about making judgments about God just based on the things that you can see. His ways are higher than our ways, as high as the heavens are from the earth. He said, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Here's the reality, Christian. Don't forget this. Sometimes the righteous are called to suffering, and sometimes the wicked prosper. Sometimes it takes pain to bring blessing in our lives. Sometimes the seed has to fall into the ground and die before the fruit-bearing tree can, can come up. And no, no one likes that pain, but sometimes those things have to happen. Be careful about making judgments about people, judgments about God, and judgments about His goodness based only on what you can see. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. The J. It's been, I think, about three years now since you were diagnosed with cancer. Four years now since you were diagnosed with cancer. And I heard Jay come stand. He's, he's lived for God. He's, he's, I don't want to tell his age, but he's lived for God for decades. And uh, God has been faithful, and, and, and he's been saved, I think, nearly 60 years now, something like that, 50 or 60 years. And he stood here and preached before, and I heard him say, I, I didn't expect or necessarily want cancer when I found out I had it, but I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't go back and trade it for the world, something along those lines. If I could, I wouldn't trade what God has taught me. What is he saying? A man of spiritual maturity that has walked with God for decades saying, God is good all the time. And he can use that which I might not have wanted, that which I might not have asked for. He can use that for, his, for my good and for his glory. Be careful judging only on externals. The just shall live by faith. We need to have confidence in the goodness and wisdom and providence of a God that we cannot see in ways that we cannot always understand. Secondly, our last point, be careful of only focusing on the short term. By nature, we get myopic, don't we? Whatever difficulty is right in front of us is the worst thing that has ever happened in the history of humanity. We forget about all of the victories, all of the blessings, all of the faithfulness of decades past, and this is the end. Weren't the children of Israel that way? 
Children of Israel are, are an interesting case study as God brought them out of Egypt. God sent 10 plagues to, to Egypt. He sent the death of the firstborn, and they all left. And what are they doing as they leave? They're rejoicing, and what are they doing? Hashtag blessed. They're putting it all over Instagram. God delivered us out of Egypt. God blessed us. It's all over the place. Our God is powerful. He's so strong. He's so mighty. And what happens? They're rejoicing, and they're, they brought all the spoils of Egypt with them. And what happens? Just a little bit longer, they get to the edge of the Red Sea, and they get there to the edge of the Red Sea, and they kind of look around. There's probably a million to two million of them, uh, and they, they start talking to each other like, where do we go from here? I don't know. Ask, ask Moses. I don't know. He's, he's the one in charge. Hey, Moses, where do we go from here? Well, it's like, oh, I'm not really sure. And then all of a sudden, they start hearing something in the distance, and they look behind them, and the most powerful army on the face of the earth, the Egyptian army, they start, what, what is that? Are those chariots? Are those soldiers? And what do they do? Immediately, God just delivered them with the most mighty, miraculous hand in the history of civilization. And now the next problem that comes, what do they say? Oh, Moses, you brought us out here because they didn't have big enough cemeteries in Egypt, huh? You brought us out here to die out here. God, you're going to let us down now. What are they saying? When things aren't good, God must not be good. And what did God do? He said, Moses, uh, put your rod in the Red Sea. Moses did. The Bible says that the waters parted. There was walls of water, and they crossed on dry ground. A couple million Israelites crossed on dry ground. All their stuff, all their caravan get across. They look back, and the, 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 the Egyptian army is, is following after them. And what happens? The Bible says the walls of water en enveloped them. The Egyptian army is completely destroyed by God's mighty hand. They get over there, and what do they do? They put it all over social media. God is good. We are blessed. God's so good to us. And then what happens, all of a sudden, they get a little hungry. All of a sudden, prices on milk go up. Groceries get a little more expensive. Gas goes to $5 a gallon. I don't know if that's today or if that's back then. I'm not sure what's happening there, but all of a sudden, they're having a hard time feeding their family, and what do they do? Now it's not that somebody's breathing down their neck. It's just they don't have, they, they don't have the groceries they thought they would have. And what do they say? God forgot about us. God failed us. Why? Because circumstances weren't perfect. God must not be in control anymore. And what does God do? God sends them manna, the most miraculous daily provision that anybody has ever experienced. Every day they woke up, they walked out their front door, and there on the ground was all the groceries they needed. They picked it up, they took it in, they fed their family. God gave them enough for that day. He said, don't store any extra. And literally every morning they woke up understanding God loves us so much that he provides for us miraculously, not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it. God provides for us. And then what do they do? Now it's not just they don't have groceries. Now it's just just, they're just a little tired of the blessings of God. They want some different blessings. They want some quail. They want some meat. And what do they say, the children of Israel? They say, God, you have done nothing for us. And this, I preached a message from this verse before, these three words, beside this manna. God, all you've done for us is miraculously provide for us every day of our lives in a, a way unlike anybody else has ever been provided for. That's all you've done for us. What's wrong with you? They say, we want some quail. And what does God say? You want quail? I'll give you quail. He gives them more quail. It said they had it coming out their nostrils, more quail than they wanted. And, and then all of a sudden, they get a little thirsty. God wants us to die again. These people that had seen God work over and over and over and over again in some of the most amazing ways, and yet what happened? As soon as a new problem came, they couldn't remember any of that. All they could see was, this is the one that's going to kill us. And God gave them water from a rock. And before we're too hard on the, on the children of Israel, how often do you come to that new challenge, that new problem, that new struggle, that new trial, 
that new difficulty, and you forget everything that God has done for you back here, and you say, he forgot about me here. Be careful of only focusing on the short term. It's one reason why thanksgiving is so important for the believer. Why? Because when we look back uh, as, as believers in thanksgiving, we remember God's goodness. When we remember God's faithfulness in the past, it gives us faith for His power in the present. When we remember God's faithfulness in the past, it gives us faith in His power in the present. Let me illustrate on the danger of focusing on the short term. If I had $10,000 to invest, and I showed you this investment with this trend, this chart, go ahead and put that first one up to each. Would you encourage me to put my $10,000 in there? That doesn't look like it's going in the right direction, does it? I'm not, I'm not a, a stocks guru, but that doesn't look like it's going in the right direction. Probably if I said, I got 10,000 bucks, should I put money in there? Most of you would say, well, it went from about 56 to 36. Yeah, if you want to get your, your investment from 10,000 to 5,000 pretty quick, go ahead and put it in there. What about if I showed you this chart right here, this next one? What do you think about that one? Should I put my investment, my $10,000 in that? That looks like over the course of decades, it's doing pretty well. In fact, if my parents had put $10,000, this chart is from my birthday to, to yesterday. If my parents had put that $10,000 in this stock on the day of my birth, today I would have $1.9 million. I wish they would have put $10,000 in Coca-Cola stock in 1978. This is Coca-Cola stock. You know what the first stock was? Coca-Cola stock. Go ahead and put them both up side by side. Here's the difference. This one is over a long period of time. This one is March of 2020, when basically the whole market crashed. You see that, that big drop over there, where it goes down a lot, almost to 35, that, that long line? That line is there. The difference is the perspective of what you're looking at. If you're looking at it for a month, Coca-Cola doesn't sound like a very— if you're looking at it March of 2020, actually nothing in March of 2020 probably looked like that good of an investment at that point. But if you're looking at it in March of 2020, that's a really bad place to put your money. You're looking at it from almost any other period of time with a little perspective, with a little time. It's a pretty solid, steady upward growth. It's a, as I mentioned, 10,000 the day I was born would be worth 1.9 million today. The panic of the short term can cause us to make some really unwise decisions. Christian, don't live your life in the panic of the short term. Live your life resting in the peace that the eternal God of heaven has a view that is much clearer and a perspective that is far better than yours. So often, we make judgments on who God is and what God's doing based on our little corner of time and space. But God exists beyond our corner of time and space. He's an eternal God that sees the big picture. We look at March 2020, and God says, I see the whole performance of this thing. I understand how it all works together. Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Yes, this seems like a, a downtick in the market, if you will. Yes, this seems like a crash. Yes, this seems like something you can't get through, but I see the big picture, and I know how I can use this to mold you and to shape you, and maybe I needed to put that, that, that difficult circumstance in your life to draw you to me 
And without that, you never would have come searching for me. And, and through that, I'm teaching you and I'm pruning you. And no matter what you face in this earth, if you know Christ as Savior, he says, the big picture is that you're going to spend all of eternity in heaven with me rejoicing. And all of the cares of this world will seem like nothing when we get there and we see him face to face. He says, trust me that I see what is happening. Don't live your life in the panic of the short term. I close with this illustration that I shared on Sunday evening of 9-11. For those that were in New York City on 9-11, and for every American watching on television, what was their view? We have one picture. We could show a bunch of them. That street view, you, you, this is covered in ash, and there was debris, and there was destruction. There was panic. There were tears. There was death. There was blood. There was, there was emergency. There's all. That was the view for every person that was in New York City on 9-11 was something like this, destruction, damage, death, only bad, all bad. And by the way, it was really the view of every American on 9-11 that was watching TV. That's what we saw. Buildings crumbling, people crying, just craziness, wondering, fear gripped all of us. What's going to happen next? If you were down here on 9-11 anywhere in America, your view was something like that. But what about the one living American who was not on earth on 9-11? His name is Frank Colbertson. He was an astronaut who was circling the earth in the International Space Station on September 11, 2001. While all cameras on earth and all eyes on earth were fixed on the two burning towers in New York, he saw something more. Through the crackling communication linked to NASA, he spoke of what he saw from 250 miles above Manhattan. The video clarity is not real good, and even the audio is a little tough, but I think we're going to show a 15 or 20 second video there of what the only person, the only American who was not on planet Earth at that time saw on 9-11. Um, I just wanted the folks to, to know that their city still looks very beautiful from space. I know it's very difficult for everybody in America right now. And um, I know folks are struggling very hard to, uh, to deal with this and recover from it, but uh, the country still looks good, and for New Yorkers, your city still looks great from up here. I don't know if you could hear the audio there. Here's what he said. I just wanted the folks to know that their city still looks very beautiful from space. I know it's very difficult for everybody in America right now. Here's what he said. The country still looks good. And for New Yorkers, your st city still looks great from up here. I don't think he was minimizing the pain and hurt of that day. But what he was sharing was a different perspective. He saw it in a way that no one else saw it. Oh, he could still see, even from space, the smoke rising from the Twin Towers. You could tell there was something very bad going on. But from a higher perspective, he said, America still looks beautiful. Your city still looks great from up here. Now, that's not to minimize any of the anguish or the pain or the death or the destruction that took place on that day. What it is, it's a reminder that perspective changes a whole lot. And those that were on earth on that day, those that were on the ground that day, all they saw was pain from the sky. He saw something much different. He had a much different perspective. And may I just say that our God has a much different view and perspective of all the things that are going on down here. He's working them in different ways for his glory. And my challenge to you this morning, again, a little different than our normal act study, but my challenge to you this morning is, don't fall into the trap that the people of Malta did. 
making a complete judgment of an entire situation over one circumstance. Don't do this with people, and don't do this with God. God is good all the time, in sickness and in health, for richer and for poor, for better, for worse. God is good all the time. When the stock market is up, and when it's down. When gas is $2 a gallon and when it's $5 a gallon. When you close the big business deal and when a business partner steals from you and, and does you wrong. When Christians act like Christ and when Christians act like ungodly sinners. When pastors are faithful and when pastors disappoint and fail you. Church family, this week, no matter what comes your way, the goodness of God does not and will not change. God is always only good. Carry that truth with you. People of Malta, no doubt that guy's the worst among us. He deserves to die. He's a murderer. A few minutes later, no doubt that guy's the best among us. He's a god. We need to worship him. Job, his friends, no doubt you deserved this. His wife, curse God and die. Got something wrong with God that he would let this into our lives. And what did Job say? Oh no, honey. Oh no. God is good all the time. May I say, no matter what you've done or where you've been, who you are, God is so good that he loved you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. The Bible says it this way, but God commendeth. That just means he openly showed, he gave. But God commendeth or showed or gave his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. When we didn't deserve any goodness from God, the Bible says, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It doesn't matter how good or bad you've been in this life. None of us are perfect. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. It's why Jordan and Victoria got baptized this morning, a public identification of a personal decision that they've placed their faith and trust in Christ alone. And God is so good that while you and I were yet sinners, when we were far away from God, when we were living for self and living in sin, God said, I love them so much for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I don't care what happens in this life down here. And some people do have tougher roads than others. And some people have harder times than others down here, but may I say, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, not, not die and go to hell, but have eternal life, die and go to heaven for all eternity. God is so good that he loved us when we were unlovable. He died for us when we didn't deserve it. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, he wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants to save your soul. He wants to change your life. He wants to change, more importantly, your eternal future. That is the God that we serve. That is the God of the Bible. God is good all the time. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.